Good morning. So I, I want you to know, I do actually have a wife, and she's actually here with me this morning. This is Rhonda. <laughs> so um, there's a, a, a practice, it's called the Oran's position of prayer, and uh, I'd like for you to practice it with me. So would you hold your hands right now, just in front of you like this, um, and, and think about everything that you're carrying Okay, whatever burdens, whatever, whatever problems, whatever challenges you're facing. And then empty your hands of that. And then lift your hands to the Lord. This is who we are. Because God is able to meet us in our trials and infirmities. So before I read the scripture for this morning, I want to give some background on the text. Uh, Colossians was written by Paul with help from Timothy in about A.D. 62. Now, Brian talked last week about Paul's last will and testament, 2 Timothy. We think Paul was executed somewhere around 64 or 65 A.D. So Colossians is written about two to three years earlier when Paul was also in prison. Now, there are some beautiful and stirring passages in the book of Colossians. If you ever have a friend going through a tough time, try praying Colossians 1, 9 through 14 for that individual. I love this passage as a prayer. So I, I want you to think about someone you know right now, someone who's going through a challenge, and I want you to pray with me this prayer. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in your trial and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians also has these incredible words about the supremacy of Jesus Christ uh, from Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. But there's an implied threat in the gospel found in Colossians 2, verse 8. So see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now this all sets up 
uh, chapter 3 and, and the talk of taking off or, or putting to death and the talk about putting on or clothing ourselves with. So let me read the text for you. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So, you know, Paul starts with these words, right? Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Now, in other words, the things we are to put to death or to take off, we do those things because of Jesus. The things we are to clothe ourselves with or to put on, we do those things because of Jesus. Jesus is the focus in, throughout this entire message, right? When we were baptized, we died, and a new life emerged, the life of Jesus in us. Now, bear with me a bit. And... You understand where I'm going with this teaching, okay? So Murray Bowen was not a believer. From 1946 through 1954, 
He served at the Menninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas. At the time, the treatment protocol for schizophrenics was electroshock therapy and frontal lobotomies. Okay? So Bowen began to experiment. He invited the nuclear family of origin to come to therapy at Menninger with the clinic, with the patient. And he began to have some success. But he was challenged by his peers. So he moved to the Washington, D.C. area, and later he started the Bowen Institute in Georgetown in 1975. And he had eight core concepts of his theory. Now, toward the end of his life, I think he was maybe being led toward God because he proposed a ninth theory, the power of the spiritual. So we know that God alone knows Murray Bowen's eternal destiny. But there were some people of faith who noticed. A Jewish rabbi named Edwin Friedman, a Lutheran named Ed Peter Steinke, a Methodist named Roberta Gilbert. The Lombard Mennonite Peace Center was created in the Chicago area, and I've been to several of their events, and they were all outstanding. An evangelical named Pete Scazzaro who spoke at our 2021 Eco-National Gathering, that was the one that was postponed because of COVID, but it was all online, right? Uh, but Pete Scazzaro picked these things up. So now what does all this have to do with Colossians 3, 1 through 17? There's a common conception among Christians that we have been saved by faith and not by works. Amen, right? We are saved by faith and not by works. So what's this language of taking off and putting on that Paul uses? Haven't I been saved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Well, so let, let me go a little deeper with you. Here's Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, right? To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ... Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So Paul's talking to holy people, to faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So why would we need to take something off? And why would we need to put something on? Why would we need to clothe ourselves? If it helps, think about justification and sanctification. Okay? So justification means it is just as if Jesus' perfect life and sinless death saves me. Sanctification means that we are becoming the people that Jesus meant us to be. In other words, we're being created in the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we're all a work in progress. <laughs> At least I am, right? Anyone else? Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> You know, uh, N.T. Wright wrote these words in his commentary on, on Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Uh, we have entered a new age, and we belong there by right. We do not have to struggle to attain the status of membership of God's people. We already have it. We must now simply allow its life to be worked out in us. And again, we're all a work in progress. So you're going to notice some things 
in the Old and New Testament. Uh, things that are based around families and things that are based around sin. Okay, so here's Exodus uh, 20, verses 3 through 6. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, so this is the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And underneath, right, is this promise to punish the, the children of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And underneath that is this promise to show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, here's Exodus 34, 6 and 7, a similar theme. So God has just told Moses that he may not see him face to face and live. So God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock as God's glory and majesty passes by Moses. So verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children to their, to their chil and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, there's some amazing and wonderful things in verses 6 and 7. I mean, God's compassion, God's grace, God's being slow to anger. You know, hey, listen, a footnote there. I am so glad that God is slow to anger because I'm pretty sure that God would have consumed me and left me fried to a crisp <laughs> if God was quick to anger. You too? <laughs> well, maybe see, can I get an amen right there? Amen. All right. I mean, think, think about that, right? What does God's love and faithfulness mean to you? God maintains love to thousands. And we could add hundreds of thousands and millions and billions. God's love is inexhaustible. God forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. What does that mean for you personally? Because God forgave your sins and mine. Right? But why does God say he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation? So both Exodus 20 and Exodus 34 have a slightly different perspective. Exodus 20 mentions the the, that those who hate me. Exodus 34 mentions that God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. I think both are saying the same thing. There's something about patterns in our families and patterns of sin, something that love can overcome, God's love and faithfulness, but there is something about our families and something about our brokenness as humans. So Exodus 18 verse 4 or Ezekiel 18, verse 4, says, this, says these words. For everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins 
is the one who will die. Now, Ezekiel, speaking on behalf of the Lord, is correct in saying that the one who sins is the one who will die. But God is also correct in saying that he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. How does that work? Um, I've said to you before that your family knows how to push your buttons because they installed your buttons. Okay? So Pete Scazzaro has suggested that you need to do a genogram of your family for three to four generations because looking at your family tree helps you identify amazing strengths, love and mercy and faithfulness and character. But there may also have been something else, you know, that was ugly and broken in your family tree, like, you know, like a divorce or sexual abuse or a separation. So here's a story about my family. Uh, my name is David Clayton Moore. My name is the gospel. I am loved by God, but made of clay. My hope is in Jesus Christ. As Brian quoted last week from Alistair Begg, the guy on the middle cross said I could be here. And that, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm named after my uncle Clayton and my grandfather Clayton. My dad was 10 years old in the summer of 1924. In the summer of 1924, my uncle, Clayton, was six years old. My grandfather, uh, who was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives for 14 years, and the mayor of Philadelphia for two different terms, had a place in Toms River, New Jersey. Uh, the men would work during the week and come for the weekends. The women and children would come to stay for the summer. And a, there was a big crowd there that day. Uncle Dorf was supervising the kids. Dorf? <laughs> they, they saw an eel and ran over to see it. All the kids ran over to see it. But Clayton stayed behind. Dorf didn't see him. We think he tried to jump from the dock to a boat. He hit his head and slipped under the water. He drowned. There were some things that happened because of that. I think there was distance between uh, Bertha, my grandmother, and the mother of Clayton and the rest of the family. There was some distrust, and I can understand why. Now, I know it's because of my dad's work that we moved to the Bay Area. But at the same time, there was some distance. My, my grandmother Bertha and my great aunt Mary lived with us, a household of nine, but we saw our extended relationships in the Philadelphia area just a couple of times. Now at the same time, we lived in Northern California and my parents had a swimming pool and, and we knew how to swim. And I never understood that at the time and I wish I could have talked to my parents but that was so courageous. That was so courageous. Of course, they watched us like a hawk <laughs> when we were swimming, right? I went to the University of California, San Diego, and I began with the beginning scuba dive training, and then intermediate, and then advanced, and then I became a scuba dive master. And I'm sure my mom held her breath, but allowed me to become the person I was becoming. Now, those kind of things tend to repeat themselves in successive generations for good 
or for bad. Many of you have done family trees using Ancestry or 23andMe or other tools uh, that are available. I've done uh, 23andMe, so my Ancestry is 47.5% French and German and 46.9% British and Irish. There's a little Scandinavian and Finnish in there somewhere. But have you looked at patterns in your family of origin? Positive things like, uh, you know, like character traits, resilience, hopefulness, peace during a storm, patience, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, I just did quote the fruits of the Spirit from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But there are other patterns as well. Depression, anxiety, stillbirths, miscarriages, divorce, abuse, abortion, separation, or any other things that you might consider. You know your family of origin. Some parents cannot deal with the challenges of their marriage and they end up focusing on a child as the identified patient or the black sheep. Maybe, maybe a couple of you out there might say, yeah, I was the black sheep in my family. <laughs> Some families are secretive and they don't dare to share something because a person feels like it would be crushing for the other members of the family. Some families are more flexible. Some families are inflexible. I remember... A, a friend whose mom was a single mom. It didn't matter if it was prom night. She had to be home by 10 p.m. She was, she was my friend's prom date, and we got her home by 10 p.m. On the other hand, maybe that discipline helped. She went to Stanford. <laughs> and then she did medical school at UCLA. She was an OBGYN in Pakistan for 20 years and later taught at the University of Louisville, Kentucky Medical School. Some families are connected. Some families are disconnected. When I do premarital counseling, I have each couple work through a series of exercises about their family of origin and another series of questions about the couple that they would like to be. And we talk about it. There's power to the patterns within our families. They shape us for good or for brokenness. I think that Paul in Colossians 3, 1 through 7, is using the language of taking off or putting on. In other words, the language of family patterns. But Paul is concerned about more than the brokenness of families. So here's an expert from Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none, no unrighteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless there is no one who does good, not even one. So Paul is not just talking about the brokenness of families. He's talking about human sin. The kind we cannot escape without the saving love of Jesus Christ. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Thanks be to God that we have a Savior, a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who rescued us from our despair and gave us hope and a new life. Now, Paul does that in Galatians as well, talking about the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In Romans 5, Paul talks about death through Adam and life through Christ. So there isn't one of us who's not exposed to the challenges. So what are we to take off? 
What are we to put together? So sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. We could probably do like a series of sermons on things we must put to death. I'm not sure I want to do that. But for, you know, for, for so many of those things, I say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I need to do that stuff. When I was a kid, you know, I got the strong message that the church says no. <laughs> it's pr- pretty much everything. <laughs> and no didn't help me. I heard the church talking about the rules, and the rules didn't help me. What helped me was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So think about these words from Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 11 helps because it tells us Right? There's no Gentile or Jew and all the rest. Why do we take things off or put things to death? Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. There is no other reason. And no other reason will suffice. Simply saying no to something. Without God's power and mercy and grace behind the no, that won't save us. It's God's power and mercy and grace backed up by the sinless and perfect life of Jesus that saves us. It's not us. So why do we clothe ourselves or put other things on? Well, things like compassion, kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other, forgiving as the Lord forgave us, love which binds all in perfect unity, the peace of Christ, thankfulness, We put these things on because of Jesus, right? We put these things on, not because of us, not because of of like my ability to put them on. I think I'm just going to put on love today. I I think I'm going to put on forgiveness today. That I, I don't have that ability. Only the Holy Spirit working in my life can help me put these things on. So then think about these words from Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what Paul starts with is Jesus. And what Paul ends with is Jesus. Why do we clothe ourselves? We don't clothe ourselves because of some rule or because of some hidden rule that's going to get us across the finish line. We do it because of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are helpless with God's grace and mercy and love. God has given us a grace, a gift that we do not deserve and a one that we cannot repay. We put things to death in our lives because of the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. We clothe ourselves because of the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. Our only hope 
is in Jesus Christ. To continue to grow, to learn, to love, and to take off and to put on. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we believe that Paul in Colossians 3 is asking us to put to death some things, to clothe ourselves with some things, to take off some things, to put on some things. And we, we're not able, but you are able through the power of your Holy Spirit you are able. Lord, bless us and, and help us to become the people that you want us to be, that, to become the, the ones that were justified by faith in you. Help us to become the image of Jesus Christ in each of us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.